kind of a theme throughout social justice is that truth is left off. Now it's just bias. There, so there is yes. that there's no defining line, which makes sense because when you have a firm definition, you have a stopping point. And yes. so the goal, it seems, for a lot of social justice is to have the ability to constantly move the goalposts to mm -hmm. maintain that power and control. Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast. A podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it, we keep it reals. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Welcome to another episode of Mama Bear Apologetics. I'm Hillary. And I'm Amy. And so today we are continuing on with our discussion when social justice comes to your kid's school. And so we had a couple of words on slides from uh, that we were discussing last week. What, what were our words last week, Amy? We were defining social justice based on its parameters, on being equity for all, as well as taking just a quick dive into their definition of bias and how bias yes. becomes problematic when we try to distinguish it or from truth or replace bias, uh, replace truth with bias. And so yeah. that was our first podcast. So if you've not listened to that yet, we highly recommend going and refreshing yourself there. However, that will not hinder you from enjoying today's podcast. Mm -hmm. So today we're gonna be talking about uh, a couple other words. First off, we are gonna start talking about prejudice and discrimination, but um, as we were talking about that, Amy and I realized we really needed to go a step back and really talk about stereotypes. And as we started talking about stereotypes, because this is how my brain works, I realized we need to go another step back and talk about schemas. So uh, Amy, won't you summarize like how this topic kind of, why did we call this when social justice comes to your kid's school? Because <laughs> that's exactly what happened in my situation. My kids started out the school year and my son came home and he goes, hey, mom, guess what? We were discussing in English class. And I'm thinking, you know, it's going to be Shakespeare or poem writing. Most of those things your, your 10 year old or your 10th grade self would encounter. And instead, it was a summary on social justice. And so when I reached mm -hmm. out to the school, the reason why that was is because a lot of the books they're going to be encountering this year deals with this idea of prejudice. And mm -hmm. so the teacher wanted information on how do I explain prejudice before we dive into these books? She typed it in the search engine and lo and behold, this is what popped up. And so it was a great opportunity for me and my son to go through the slides, look and see, okay, what is actually being taught? How are they phrasing it? And then how do we interact with this from a critical worldview standpoint and understand, okay, wait, how does scripture actually speak into this rightly? Because we have the wrong definitions to the words, then we are going to potentially agree with an ideology that is neither biblical nor true or logically sound. And yeah. so that's what led us to do this podcast series that we're bringing you here today. 
Yep. So it's like a lot of times, in fact, uh, these these concepts, when I found out that the teacher, I was like, oh, she's teaching Frankenstein. Yeah, you absolutely do need to deal with the concept of prejudice and bias and all the things within with Frankenstein. I mean, that's a major theme. Um, and just hearing her story about like, I don't know, this is the first thing that popped up. I'm like, I mean, every teacher, I, I've been a teacher, you've been a teacher. We've all been in that situation where we're like, well, this explains it pretty well. Yeah. And But we don't understand, like, if something is part of a larger narrative that's going on in culture, what are some of the things that are being smuggled in with that? And so we don't necessarily want to poo-poo all things that are social justice. We don't want to poo-poo all things related to um, bias and equity and equality and um, justice and discrimination, all those things. But we do want to help our kids unpack what is relevant, what is, what is Christian, uh, what what is coherent with a Christian worldview and what is not coherent with a Christian worldview, because we can have two people using the same words and meaning very, very different things. And that's why we're going back to some of the really old dictionaries. So I have a dictionary that I kind of inherited from my dad, who this was the dictionary he used when he was a kid going school and going through school in the 50s. And I can't remember if it was new, but it's the... Uh, Webster's New World Dictionary Encyclopedia Edition uh, that we're using. So I think the most recent copyright on that was 1960. They're like kind of fallen apart, but they're so beautiful at the same time. So yeah, so that's what we're going to be talking about. So the words that uh, were on the slides that her, were presented to her, her son were prejudice and discrimination. We really want to get into that. But first, we have a couple things we want to talk about. We didn't say this on last podcast, but Amy and I actually know, and this is even goes even further back from when Amy joined us with Mama Bear, even back when it was me and Rebecca, we knew when a certain podcast was going to like really have teeth when it was like sort of, I don't know, it's one of the big, either the big cultural lies or a stronghold within culture because we will have so many technical problems as we're yes. trying to record. And uh, we're like, well, of course it would come up with th this uh, this topic. And so this is just one of those topics. So I just want to say a prayer basically over this entire podcast, because as we're talking about discrimination and prejudice, there are so many things that we could say where someone might hear the wrong thing or they may perceive it, that we were meaning something that we weren't. So I'm just going to say, Lord, I thank you so much that we can have an umbrella of grace as we are talking about difficult things, Lord. As we talk about difficult topics, we need to acknowledge when someone is trying to help elucidate and bring light to something, Lord, knowing that they can sometimes misspeak or mishandle something. Um, I pray that this would involve having great discussion and that um, you would be present and your light and your truth would be present in this episode and that you would just protect this episode against any kind of technological stuff that's going on. But just more importantly, Lord, we pray for just any spirits of confusion uh, that are wanting to basically surround anyone, either Amy or I as we're talking or people as they're listening, Lord, because I know the enemy loves to jump in whenever there's a foothold. So we just pray against that right now, Lord. Um, thank you that you are the God of protection. And uh, we thank you that we can come to you with even the smallest of things your name I pray. Amen. And so, Amy, you're going to give us a couple of passages that are, are really good to address when we're talking about things like discrimination or prejudice. Absolutely. Because with all of these definitions, there there is truth, but there's also that subtle twisting that Satan does. Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't have to give us a complete falsehood. If he can just warp the truth a little bit, he can completely drive us away. And mm -hmm. so two of the passages that are are just great to talk about with your kiddos is Galatians 3.28, and says, For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. 
So we get this beautiful portrait of there is no arbitrary qualifier distinguishing us, though the standard is Christ. And that is beautiful because that means all everyone can come to Christ. And the standard is human. We are all humans. We are all creatures made in God's image. No matter what we look like, how we identify anything, we are humans. And so that puts us on equal footing. So like he he used some of the common ways that people differentiated themselves back when when he was writing, when Paul was writing, um, to say, we're we're not having any of those distinctions. We we are Christ is all and we are all one in Christ. So that that's our first passage. Absolutely. And that's especially important today because while we don't have that slave and and free distinction between us, we do have politics and that is becoming mm. deeply polarized. And blue collar and white collar work. Mm. And we're mm. in football season. So you're different teams. So all of these things, they're completely <laughs> irrelevant. There is no defense or offense, but we are all one team. <laughs> I don't think that will go well during the Sunday game. No. <laughs> <laughs> So the next one, I'm not going to read the entire passage because it is quite long, but it's James 2, 1 through 26. And it's basically this admonishment not to favor somebody because they are more attractive, because they're Mm -hmm. more wealthy, because they smell better and look better. Instead, we, every single one of us is worthy to hear the word of God. And so it's Mm -hmm. just, uh, it's very important. My brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And that it's just that that confirmation that look when we look at another human being, we recognize and affirm that they are made in the image of God and they are worthy of the gospel, regardless of what's going on in their life. And we have an obligation. We should have a love for that person to reach them for Christ, where regardless of where they're at, because somebody saw that in us at one point in yep. time. And so those are just two great passages to read with your kids before you start any of these discussions, because it does set that guiding line, that ruler's edge of, okay, what is true? What is good? And then now we can properly roar through what your kids may be encountering in school, on social media, so that they can be good critical thinkers and interact with worldly ideologies well. Yep. So like we said, the words that we were going to go through today were prejudice and discrimination. But before we even start into those, we need to talk about stereotypes. And before we talk about stereotypes, well, actually, we'll talk about stereotypes first, then we're going to talk about schemas, and then we're going to talk about prejudice and discrimination. So Amy, like, what would you say would be just stereotypes in general? Oh, gosh. So stereotypes are often based on main looks, religious background, and they are a small description of a certain amount of people that is applied to everyone. So yep. the classic case is the dumb blonde. You often hear that one is, oh, I laughed as a brunette. I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> That's right. You're being oppressive. And so dumb blonde is one of those at dumb jock mm-hmm. as well. Yes. Clearly football players cannot, you know, major in microbiology or something. Yeah. And so these are, they're taking a very small amount of people and now applying that definition and saying, no, everybody. So it's stereotypes. They describe some, but they do not define all. Yes. And I think that's the important thing we say. They describe some, but they do not define all. Because one of the things, the unfortunate truth about stereotypes is there can be some truth in it. Um, like I will just say from a biological perspective um, that as um, as boys are growing, when you're growing big, a lot of times some of that energy actually does get shuttled away from the brain into the biceps. Like we talked about this back when I was a teacher, that we had some kids that were like, uh, it, it was especially the boys because the boys are the ones that would grow really big. You're preaching Where some to the days choir. It's like they would just go full stupid. And, and uh, one of the teachers that had been teaching for like 30 years, he's like, you just need to know that this happens. Sometimes it's like, 
something shuts off, they're growing in some way, and what they could do the day before they can't do today. And that's just part of the developmental process. That's what makes being a teenager so great. That's what makes being a parent or a teacher of teenagers so fun, um, is you kind of can't predict when it's going to happen. But they took that thing where, you know, the guys that grow big grow dumb. That's not the case, especially after they've stopped growing. That just because someone's big doesn't make them dumb. But, you know, because that stereotype grew within the developmental stage, then people are making that, you know, that that assumption. So, again, we're talking about that there can be truth to a stereotype. It wouldn't be a stereotype if people hadn't interacted with this before. Right. Um, and so we have stereotypes for, you know, this is what girls like. This is what guys like. I remember growing up in church, I always was kind of jealous of the stuff that the guys got to do, like, especially as I got to be an adult on like the men's retreats versus the women's retreats. It's like, I didn't want to sit around with doilies and eating cucumber sandwiches. And I kid you not, this last weekend, I had a family engagement that was for ladies only that serve ba, ba, da, ba, cucumber sandwiches. <laughs> and there is because a lot of times women have a tendency to like kind of the lighter foods, the salads and stuff. And so um, that's just a tendency. And that doesn't make it bad. It doesn't make it good. It just makes like, you know, there's a generality that does exist. But like you said, it describes some, but it does not define all. Absolutely. That is a crucial distinction. So yeah. as we're talking about stereotypes, some people think that we need to just get rid of all stereotypes. And I'm going to say that I don't think this is necessarily the best way forward because there's some stereotypes. Yeah, we just need to be breaking down. But other times um, in talking about schemas, and this is, uh, I, I started bringing up schemas and Amy said, what's a schema? And I was like, oh, goody, then we get to talk about that during the podcast. So it's like, I, I generally know what a schema is, but I pulled up a website much like the teacher did. So hopefully there's nothing offensive on this, but it's uh, from a website called verywellmind.com. And it's talking about what is a schema. And so before pulling this up, what I recognized is that schemas are something that this is built into how we think. This is part of how God designed us that we can actually learn that, you know, when machines are learning, they take individual instances and they start building probabilities based on those individual instances. So we as humans, as we interact with people, we start building probabilities based on how someone is. That's that's where you get, oh, uh, you know, you need to be more like I was talking with my husband, the different ways that you uh, do touch with boys versus girls that you wouldn't go and just flat smack tackle a girl usually because most of the time girls don't like that. Yeah. But boys, when my husband's given, you know, hugging, hugging the boys, you know, our, our ne nephews as opposed to our nieces. He'll, he'll pick them up and try to squeeze the living daylights out of them. And they love it. They couldn't get enough. They want more hugs from Uncle John because they kind of like that rough and tumble. They need a different kind of touch. So this, again, would be those stereotypes that are built on we've experienced what girls like, we've experienced what guys like. And so we are going to choose our actions based on the probability of what this person versus that person is going to like. And there is some help, helpfulness to this because if we were trying to interact with the whole world as if we were a blank slate. That would not go well. I mean, I'm trying to think of movies where the person supposedly comes out of like a fairy tale or even the most recent movie, Barbie, where she's coming out and all of a sudden she's having to learn that guys look at her differently than they do in Barbie land. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's almost a trope in movies where you have someone who hasn't had any experience with people. Like she doesn't know all these guys that are leering at her from the construction site, maybe aren't the best ones to ask 
for directions from. <laughs> um, and it's kind of a joke that she's so naive that she doesn't know how to interact with people based on those social cues. Well, that's where schemas come in, that we start learning these social cues based on previous experience. And some of the ways that schemas affect learning, uh, and this one is due to the website. So schemas influence what we pay attention to. So when you're drawing kind of a generality with people, then you're going to pay attention to things that actually kind of match that schema um, that, that you're looking for. They um, impact people's ability to learn. There's sometimes where I've learned something that was completely opposite of what I thought I knew. And it took several times for someone to explain it to me for me to realize, oh, my gosh, I've been thinking about that completely backwards. It's because it impeded my ability to learn when something was different than how I expected it to be. So that takes a little bit of time. Um, schemas help us simplify the world. My husband lives on schemas. Like I'll tell you, if he if we're pulling out of the driveway, there's one way that he's going to turn if he's not thinking about it. It's whatever way he most often turns. And if we're in the middle of a conversation, he will turn the wrong way. If we're going somewhere else, because he's not thinking about where we need to go, he's simplified his actions in his mind of, when I pull out of the driveway, this is the way that I go, because normally that's the way he does. And so he yeah. doesn't have to always be thinking about everything, but he, he does this with a, a lot of stuff. And so it's one of those things I just need to recognize is a different way that we think. Um, schemas allow us to think quickly. So if we're in a very dangerous situation, we need to know who's a safe person to talk to, who's not a safe person to talk to, or um, you know, what's a safe building to go to, what's not a safe building to go to. This is, allows us to think quickly. Um, it can change how we interpret incoming information. This is where we start getting into that bias and that discrimination is if we expect something from someone, we are more likely to interpret that. Right. So um, there's actually a study you and I talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago where they gave women, they were actually talking about discrimination and they gave women, um, they said, we're, we're talking about the impact of facial scars on hiring practices. And so with makeup, they gave these women facial scars, let them look at it and said, okay, we're going to set you up and we're actually testing the people that are interviewing you. And we want to hear back from you what kind of discrimination you faced. Right. And, but what they didn't notice is someone's like, oh, you need one more touch up. And they did a touch up by taking off the scar. And so when the women went in there, they were expecting to be treated differently based on this facial scar and actually reported back all of these discriminatory behaviors based on because they thought the person was reacting to the scar. So what they expected was what they experienced. So like we said, schemas can change the way we interpret incoming information. She expected the interviewer to be treating her differently as a, uh, with a facial scar when she didn't have one. And so that's how she interpreted it. And then finally, schemas can uh, be remarkably difficult to change. You can change schemas when you're younger. It's a lot harder when you're older. And part of the reason is, again, if we're dealing with probabilities and you've only experienced something five times, well, you know, in 20 years when you've experienced 50,000 times, it's a lot harder to change that perception. So schemas can be good, like I said when we're dealing with when we need to think quickly, when we need to draw, um, you know, do what's best for a large group of people, maybe not understanding how everybody is different, but we just kind of need to make decisions based on probability. That's where they can be helpful. That's where stereotypes come in. But as humans, as thinking rational beings, we do not treat everything like a probability. We treat people as individuals. And again, going back to your definition, Amy, that it, def uh, it describes some, but it does not define all. 
we need to take that schema and say, well, does this uh, define this person? No. Can I treat them differently based on this new information? Even if that information is one one hundred thousandth piece of the information that I've got, I still know I can treat this person based on the new information they've given me about them. Does that kind of clear up what a schema is? Yeah, no. And it makes sense because it it ties into the earlier, even just definition of bias. But what mm-hmm. I was noticing too, in, in that breakdown of schemas was how this can even be cultivated within mm-hmm. a community, within a generation. Because when yes. I think of you know, microaggressions and this hypersensitivity that a lot of people have now to where if you're trained to say, okay, well, if somebody behaves in this way, if there's a comment made or whatever, then it's always a negative perception of mm-hmm. who you are, how you identify, that sort of thing. Then you can actually cultivate this kind of warped worldview, this warped filtering. And there was a, mm-hmm. a an individual that we were watching on a YouTube video who was talking about, oh, well, when somebody explained the male gaze, I saw it everywhere. And it's, well, okay, did it actually exist or were you just interpreting all things as the male gaze, depending on the definition yeah. you were given. So in some ways, it's good, especially like you mentioned, in navigating perhaps dangerous or uncertain situations. It's good to have those. However, or new situations where you have to, you know, the, the chances are that they like X and not Y, you know, I got to right. pick one. And so I, but it's interesting, like what you said about how it can change based on generation. I actually saw this happen in grad school, that there were instances where it's like, you know, girls that were in their 20s, or, or actually I was in my 30s, I think at the time, we're in the same classroom with women who had gone through, um, you know, I went through my teen years in the 90s versus women who had gone through their teen years in the 60s. And them picking up on misogynistic comments and sexist behavior completely went over my head because I hadn't grown up with that. I had not been taught to interpret certain things as misogynistic or sexist, but they had growing up in the 60s. And the way they interpreted something was really different than the way I interpreted it, because that's just not something, A, that I had to deal with. And I wasn't taught to expect that, but they had been. Absolutely. Yeah. And my my son recently went through this. You know, we always teach our boys to be gentlemen, be thoughtful and be courteous of others. And he opened the door for a girl at school and she yelled at him for it. How dare you open this door for me? What, you think I can't open a door by myself? He's like, no, I'm just being polite. And she jumped all over him just <sighs> because, oh, if a man opens the door for a woman, that's him. And, you know, subconsciously inserting his dominance over her, saying that she's, yes. you know, weaker or whatever. It's, no, he was just being a good human being. Does she really think that men are like, well, you know what? I bet you if she tried her darndest, she could not get that she door could not open. open I better step in and be her <laughs> male right. savior. Like, really? Seriously, yeah. come on. So this happens. Yeah. And it's and so great that you quantified both of that uh, for us right before we start talking about what is prejudice and discrimination. So I've got the slides up here right in front Mm -hmm. of me, folks. So if you're watching, I'm looking at my phones because I'm just looking here. And so I'm going to read the definitions of prejudice and what it leads to with discrimination. And then, Hillary, let's dive into the sort of the old, the original definition. Yeah, Yeah, the original definition of prejudice, because, yeah, as as you've explained so many times with linguistic theft and through our Mm roar method, definitions change and that that yeah. can be a tactic of the enemy again to corrupt a culture so let's let's yeah. take a look at and things for those who are watching on on uh, on video we're, we're gonna slide put the the slides up for you as well all right so here we go for prejudice it's the irrational or unjustifiable negative feelings towards persons from another social group this social group mm-hmm. could be race sexual orientation religion age ability sex name, social class, and all others. 
Now, this irrational and unjustifiable negative feelings can lead to what they define as discrimination, which is the inappropriate treatment of those people. So when you have an irrational, unjustified negative feeling, you tend to act those out, it says, in inappropriate treatment of people because of an actual or perceived aspect of their identity. So those mm -hmm. are our definitions of prejudice and yeah. discrimination. And there are some aspects of truth in there. Again, mm -hmm. you know, if absolutely. Very often, uh, prejudice there it can be based on very false assumptions about who we mm -hmm. are. And so, let's take a look at the original definitions. Yes, yes. So, because it's like we do want to say like this. It's not we're, we're saying this isn't the definition. We're just saying this is overly simplistic, and it's right. making something that should. It, it, there's a lot of times where you see an oversimplification where there's some good and there's some bad and they make it all good or all bad. Right. And that's just never a good way to go about. So prejudice, when we are looking at in the Webster's New World Dictionary from 1960, prejudice, a judgment or opinion formed before the facts are known, preconceived idea, favorable or more usually unfavorable. So I like the, the fact that they bring in facts facts that this yes. is before the facts are known so um what it's assuming is is that if you're presented with other facts your behavior will change and so the prejudice here doesn't leave room for someone either number one basing their um their behaviors maybe on a schema that has proved true for them many many times like i'll say for um i know for a fact women who uh, have gone through uh we'll say later on maybe not as childhood stuff where they can, you know, where they can remember where they've gone through sexual assault, they are more attuned to things that are going on around them than someone who maybe um, was assaulted as a child or doesn't remember their assault, all those different things. Um, because they're basing that schema based on previous stuff. But once they realize this person is a safe person, then they can actually start behaving more normally to them, uh, towards them. But again, this idea of prejudice just says if you're acting in a way that's irrational or unjustifiable, I guess that's their wiggle room right there, irrational, yeah. unjustifiable, but nobody's willing to ask, what is your reason for acting this way? They just assume it's always irrational and unjustified. Yeah, what do you mean by unjustified? What do you mean by irrational? Yes. Yeah, no, like you, what do you I love mean by prejudice. Exactly, and I love that they mention in the original definition before the facts are known, and that's before one thing that we've facts. seen kind of a theme throughout social justice is that truth is left off. Now it's just bias there. So there is yes. that there's no defining line, which makes sense because when you have a firm definition, you have a stopping point. And yes. so the goal, it seems for a lot of social justice is to have the ability to constantly move the goalposts mm -hmm. to maintain that power and control. So that yep. was just the first definition. What's that we've got a couple others. Yep. Um, a judgment or opinion held in disregard of facts that contradicted unreasonable bias. So this is, again, one of those things where when people are being accused of prejudice, nobody thinks to ask or, or to find out, is this in, in contrary to the facts? But whenever you see someone crying prejudice or, you know, whatever, nobody thinks to ask, why are you acting like this? They just assume that it's unjustified, that it's all these different things. You're the evil person. Um, so the third, the third one, and I think this one is probably what the social justice warriors would kind, what they're kind of meaning, a suspicion, intolerance, or hatred of other races, creeds, religions, occupations, etc. So this is where you have that immediate suspicion, no matter, but you're, you're 
positioning them based on characteristics they can't control. This isn't based on what they wear. This isn't based on if they showered or, you know, any of those things. It's just based on the color of their skin, what job they have, um, or, you know, what they say they believe, what the religion is. They just assume that this is how all people are that ascribe to that. Yeah. And you made a really good point, especially within the second definition. What I, I find really fascinating is judgment or opinion held in the disregard of facts that contradict it. And so yes. that's where there's this important distinction that has to be made that when cries of prejudice and oppression are being leveled, we ask, okay, wait a second, is this actual oppression? Is this mm -hmm. actual prejudice? Because so often, especially within our yes. culture today and under social justice, that's not a question you're allowed to ask. If somebody mm -hmm. feels oppressed, then it's actually happening. But that's not always the case. And so yeah. one example that I shared with Hillary before is one of the ways someone can exercise prejudice is based on their ability or their sex. And there was an interesting situation that ha happened while we were in the military. Uh, myself, my husband, and my father-in-law were in the military. So he w worked at the Cassive at Ramstein. He was in charge to where when they brought wounded troops Which way? In, is this your husband or your dad or father-in-law? My father-in-law. So when okay. my father-in-law worked at Ramstein, so they were in charge whenever the wounded soldiers would come in, they would be in charge mm. of driving out the, it was these big school buses that had been con uh, converted into sort of mobile ambulances. Emergency room yeah, units. Exactly. Kind of. And so they would have to unload these soldiers uh, on off onto these um, basically mobile ambulances. And so you're talking about a stretcher with an adult male piled high with gear and equipment. So these averaged around four and 500 pounds for each of these yeah. uh, litters is what they're called. And so whenever they would get the call that, okay, we got a new group of wounded troops coming in, uh, they would say, okay, and my father, a huge guy, he's like 6'2", former TI, you know, big dude. And he would say, okay, I need the biggest guys on the team. Let's go out and get these ones. Well, there was a female who was on the crew who was really offended that she was not included. And they mm. said, well, no, you don't understand. This is going to be four and 500 pounds. I need the biggest people on here so that we can get this soldier off and over to the medical health that he needs. And so there was a fit that was thrown. And so they had to, because she cried prejudice, put her on the team to be able to lift this soldier. And in the process, she nearly caused them to drop him. It wasn't because they were being irrationally prejudiced against her. It's mm. because a 115-pound female cannot pull her weight between 4,500 pounds of a soldier. Yep. And so this is an example that that distinction is so important that, look, yes, you're a woman. You're going to have different abilities. That's why we don't have you on this crew. This isn't a prejudice thing. This is just Not a prejudice this is thing. physics, you know, and, and to some extent. <laughs> So, uh, but physics and physiology. But yeah, it was one of those situations to where somebody almost had to suffer medical harm to prove yeah. a basic point. And so that's why it's yeah. so important for us to clarify one of the biggest problems within social justice is just asking those questions or making that conclusion that, you know, you're not going to be able to lift this like, you know, a 250 pound guy who benches for three hours after every shift. He's going to be able to support this troop. Um, and you're not allowed to do that with it so often within social justice, mm -hmm. which is why I really appreciate uh, the definition B, because it, it mentions that it's in the disregard or contradiction yes. of very obvious facts. And we're not or wrong just, in affirming facts. Yeah, this idea of affirming facts and if facts, you know, if, if those facts are true, they don't ever ask, are these facts true? It doesn't allow someone to act upon the facts sometimes because just in the off chance that someone's going to say, oh, that was an irrational judgment. Yeah. What, 
you know, it doesn't allow them to act on the facts. Kind of like uh, your, your father-in-law was not allowed to act on the facts that a 115-pound woman could not lift these 400 500-pound men with all their gear. Yeah. Um, yeah, so those were the three definitions of prejudice. And so in the slides, it says, so prejudice is, like they said, the irrational or unjustifiable negative feeling towards persons from another social group. And that leads to discrimination, which is the inappropriate treatment of people because of an actual or perceived aspect of their identity. And I like kind of going back to the example that you gave. Was it in an inappropriate action? She tried discrimination, didn't she? Saying, yeah. they don't let me do this as a woman. She probably yeah. said, this is discriminatory. So was it an inappropriate treatment of her based on their perceived identity? Are there some women somewhere out there who can probably lift a four and 500 pound guy and like not break a sweat? There probably are. But yeah, that just aspect of discrimination, she can cry that just because someone's treating someone differently, it's automatically assumed to be discrimination. Yeah, that's that blanket approach that that is so dangerous. Yes, you can have women who are physically fit, who can join the team and work with the guys to be able to effectively lift people in this setting. We're not saying they don't exist, but in this particular case, she was not the best person for the job, but because she said, well, that's discrimination because you're not letting me, you're basing it on my size and my gender. No, it's not based on either one of those. Well, yeah, it was based on those because you did not have the physical strength to do this, but their yeah. safety superseded your feelings. And so that's yes. why it's just, yeah, there are, that's why it's so good to differentiate with discrimination is what actually is discrimination. When is discrimination yes. a good thing? Because there are yes. points where there is healthy and good discrimination that needs yes. to be made. And so that would be a good discussion with your children is, okay, what mm -hmm. are some bad examples of discrimination and what are yes. some good examples of discrimination? Yep. And I think that's one of the points we want to make for this entire podcast of what we need to be asking our kids. Like for, for talking about things like prejudice and discrimination, we need to ask, is there ever a time that this is appropriate? Is there a good version of prejudice, a good version of discrimination? Say that I am um, in a convenience store and it's pre-COVID and someone comes in with a full ski mask dressed all in black. Do I know for a fact that that person's going to rob the store? No. Is that kind of what I've seen from, you know, security cameras and the news all the time? Yeah. And so I might have a prejudice to backing away and uh, treating that person suspiciously. Or if I'm the person who's working the counter, I might be a little bit prejudiced. And, you know, but then they might rip it off and be like, oh, there's a blizzard outside. Well, that's new information. That's new facts that have come in. Now I don't need to keep treating them based on that original prejudice. But that original prejudice to be wary was actually a smart thing. And, and I, I would just say just as a female and as a small female and as a small female with health problems, it's very, very weak that basically has to have my husband lift my suitcase, my empty suitcase out of the out of the closet when I go on trips that like, I'm gonna be careful where I walk and who's around me. I'm gonna be paying attention to that because there are relevant cues that people are giving that say, this may not be the safest place to walk. I should walk over here instead of over there. You know, if it's the dead of night and I'm by myself. Even as I say that, I'm picturing people filling in the information of how they picture I'm like making these dis distinctions, but like, let's try not to go there and keep it with common <laughs> sense here. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's a great way to distinguish, again, for the original definition of discrimination, the inappropriate treatment of people based on actual or perceived aspects of their identity. And yeah. again, the problem comes in, how do we define inappropriate? And that's where the traditional definition 
is is so important is that you know discriminating in its original sense is just making or perceiving differences and distinctions and you often have to base your actions on those differences and distinctions it is the yeah. uh, it, you have to be able to perceive it now sometimes this can be bad by showing favoritism or bias mm-hmm. meaning negative bias you're not going to deal with that person because they like a certain football team they voted a certain way you know, mm-hmm. though those sorts of things are examples of inappropriate discrimination. And so yeah. that's why, yeah, clarifying those terms is so important. Yeah. I even think about the phrase that people take, oh, they're, they're a person of discriminating taste. And what they mean is they can tell from the good wine from the cheap wine. <laughs> and like, that's another thing that's good to have. Or it's like my mother, she will make a beeline for whatever is most expensive in a store. Um, and it's not because she actually sees, oh, look, this is priced more. She can tell quality and she will go right for it. And so like, I've started picking up on this a little bit. As I've as I've been learning, and my husband's like, you're starting to become more like your mommy. It's like you know, without fail, I'll be like, ooh, that's the one I really like. And then we look at the price tag, and of course, it's the most expensive one there. Nice. Um, yeah. So I mean, discriminating taste just means that you can tell the difference between things, and telling the difference between things does not mean that you're saying that something's unequal per se, yeah. unless you're dealing with you know, good quality furniture, or bad quality furniture, or wine, or something like that. Yeah. But um, again, asking our kids, is there a good instance of this versus the bad instances of this because then if someone starts saying he discriminated against me she discriminated against me they are immediately going to start saying in their mind well what happened uh why did they do that and and this is one of the things that we stress in the mama bear apologetics book guide to sexuality when we're talking about category words versus actual information that we should always be whenever we see a category word like mean, or I would say discrimination would be a category term that was a discriminating behavior. We always need to be asking them to the point of where they're constantly asking immediately what actually happened. They're looking for actual information. And this needs to be second nature. Whenever your kids hear something like this, they automatically know to ask for more information, ask for facts, ask, ask for the actual circumstances before they go along with whatever narrative is being told to them. Yes. And and looking into the background details, too. Why did why mm-hmm. did the person interpret this in this way? As yes. you mentioned before, Hillary, there is background that we maybe do not know about that shaped the conclusion that was made at that point in time. And so for our kids, this not only nurtures good critical thinking, but also empathy, too, to where when we roar through a situation, we recognize what's mm-hmm. going on. We're, when we are looking and offering discernment, okay, what happened? Why did they come to this conclusion? What yep. it happened to them in the past that led them to make this conclusion? Okay, well, I can mm-hmm. empathize with that reasoning. However, that doesn't However. mean that it's true. However, it doesn't mean yes. it's true. I, I've shared this before. My father-in-law, he's, he is the emotional side and whereas I'm more on the logical. And so his favorite thing was always telling me, Amy, feelings are real. And I go, you're absolutely right, but they're not always true. And so that's what <laughs> a good thing to reinforce with our kids is feelings are real. They deserve compassion. However, that doesn't mean that all feelings are true. And so instead, yeah. we we can rightly empathize with the emotion. However, we still need to evaluate it to make sure that it is actually accurate. All right. So <laughs> at the very end of the slides, when it was talking about what is social justice, what is bias, prejudice and discrimination, it wrapped up with tips for how your kids can get involved and get activated and fight against prejudice and discrimination. Mm -hmm. And some of them were, you know, like we said, some of them were fine. Stay informed. We completely agree. You definitely need to be looking at 
multiple news sources because every form of news has their own bias. They're going to spin it a certain way. And Mm -hmm. so we need to be teaching our kids, okay, how can we evaluate? Uh, One great website I just found out about is called Ground News to where they will actually take headlines and they will say, okay, these are the news sources that are representing it. This article leans more left. This leans center. This leans right. It has a high factuality. This has, you know, questionable factuality. It's a good resource to be able to evaluate how something's being presented. So mm-hmm. staying informed, that's great. Do your research. Oh, man, Hillary we and I. research. <laughs> we can't amen this enough. You want amen. to go and do research, not just with the side that confirms your beliefs or agrees with your worldview, but you want to see it from the other person's perspective as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. But one that we that we both did give us both pause was <clears throat> wh- how are you supposed to stay informed? Why you are supposed to subscri- subscribe and follow social justice based organizations on social media. Mm-hmm. So, yes, great <laughs> idea. And yeah. by great idea, we mean not a great idea. Not a great idea to do that exclusively. So the problem with social media is it's very short. It's very quick. There's not depth. It's heavily Mm -mm. saturated in just emotional manipulation at times. Yes. And this generation has has grown up never knowing life without a cell phone. And so they Mm -hmm. have their thought process, their attention spans have been immediately affected by the influx of social media to where if something moves them into a passion, they will automatically assume it's true. And so if you just have a kid who's only plugged into the social justice, well, they're only getting the social justice definitions, the that perspective. And that's where problems can arise because very often, depending on what's being said, is it's not going to be interacted with charitably or critically. It's, oh, look, here's an act of oppression. Here's anger. Mm-hmm. Let's go and attack. And if you're only getting that poured into... its own schema. Yeah. It becomes its own bias. It becomes its own prejudice. And it becomes its own discrimination. When you saturate yourself with only one side, it creates the very things that they are trying to rid the world of, which is not a healthy thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And lastly, the one that really stuck out to us the most is get involved, is you have to actually participate not only in activism, but fundraising efforts to further social justice causes, which, yeah. again, is very problematic. We, we see this often within the LGBTQ community. There is a CNN mm-hmm. article that will have the link in the show notes to it gave tips on how to be an ally. And how you have yeah. to do that is you have to embrace, endorse, promote and defend. So you yep. have to shed the Christian worldview and adopt the LGBTQ ideology as your new worldview to mm-hmm. even be considered an ally. And the same with social justice, it's all under that same umbrella, is to yeah. be an ally, to be an activist, to be fighting against social justice definition of prejudice and discrimination. You have to advocate for their causes, not question mm-hmm. and evaluate whether or not those causes are rightly motivated. And so yep. that, again... There have been so many articles on how Gen Z is is looking for a revolution. In fact, if you type that in, I'll, I'll find that for the show notes as well. Uh, they're looking for a revolution. They don't know where it is, but they want to go and fight for something. They, and they're ready for a fight. Just put, show me where to go, coach. Exactly. Which, you know, okay, you, fighting for injustice is good. But if you have no direction, you're just going to be swinging at anything that comes close to you. And yes. so that's where with kids is, wait a second, we can't just blindly say, okay, you need to plug yourself into this and then go and promote it and fight it and write your congressman and protest and do walkouts mm-hmm. and all these things. Wait a second. No, we first need to evaluate. Is it true? Is it good? Is it right? Does it uphold the dignity of each and every human being? Is it logically sound? And if it fails on those counts, do not get involved with it. 
because again, no. it is it is it is perpetuating the thing it's claiming to fight against, and that's immensely dangerous for not only us as adults but for our kids as well. Yep. So that is our kind of discussion on when social justice comes to your kid's school. I hope you mama bears and papa bears uh, feel better able to really talk about the concepts of, of bias and discrimination and prejudice with your kids, recognizing that uh, there is there is a lot of truth within social justice. I don't think social justice as a movement would have gained as much um, ground and as much momentum as it has if it were not identifying real problems that were going on with, you know, real demographics with real people, that this was was actually a problem. So we want to say yes and amen. Like as the mama bear, we roar and we offer discernment. We're looking at what are the things that we can agree with first so we can know where are we standing on the same side. But if we stop there, we teach our kids basically to just be uh, indoctrinated instead of saying, okay, now we're going to look at the things that we don't agree with. And, and this is something that I tried to do at my school and the principal shut it down immediately. Um, was I wanted to see what would happen if we had some of our kids who were really, really firm in evolution debate those that were firm in creation, but they had to switch sides. And John actually did this back when he taught speech and he was able, you know, since I just taught science, you know, there wasn't much I can do, but he taught the speech and debate. And he actually did this where they had to argue for both sides on things. So they were forced to find what is the good and what is the bad? What are the things that um, maybe, you know, we'll say side A is ignoring point, you know, certain points that side B is making and side B is ignoring points that side A is meeting, uh, is making. And so we need to teach them to be able to look for the legitimate points that are coming, no matter who they're coming from, no matter if in general, we agree with them. But in order to be committed to truth, we have to be committed to truth, no matter where it's found. 100% in agreement, we always pursue after truth. Awesome. Well, with that, um, Amy, would you like to close us out in prayer? Absolutely. Father God, we are so grateful that you have given us minds to be able to reason, to understand, to interact. I pray that for each mom, dad, grandparent, educator, pastor, whoever is listening, that you will just help them feel confident in the spirit, that you give them this spirit of boldness, that we don't have to flee from what the world is giving us, but instead we can tactically engage it because you have given us a spirit of discernment, of wisdom. You are fighting along the battles with us. So I pray that you will help all those who are listening to speak boldly, gracefully, and truthfully to those around them to raise up this next generation to stand firm in the faith. In your holy name, amen. Amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together. Oh,